Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect, for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the Bread of Life. Let us seek Him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Why is it that a person can know his or her Bible well, and yet it have so little impact on their attitudes or behaviors? Why do Bible teachers fall into sin, for example? Well, there are any number of reasons, but it may begin with the fact that transformation happens in the heart and not in the mind. And so, though we need to know God's truth, that truth needs to find its way down into our hearts before it can do us any moral good. Today we begin to consider what it means to hide God's word in our hearts, as the psalmist says, so that we might not sin against him. The psalmist says, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. I might not sin. And we covered this a couple weeks ago, but there were five points we basically made, and I want to repeat them very quickly the ways that the Bible works to direct us away from sin. And the first thing we said is it it starts by just naming it. The Bible gives over 22 different words to help identify what sin is. It's, for example, being broken. It's going off the path. It's going astray. It's missing the mark. It's crookedness. It's rebellion. It's trespasses. It's offending. It's lawlessness. These are words that are given. When you read the word sin in your Bible, it's one of these Hebrew or Greek words that actually mean those things that I just said to you. That's what sin is. It identifies it as a general concept. It's not how most people, how often we hear it identified. Here's one of the things, by the way, it doesn't say that sin is. A mistake. So you get some celebrity who is caught on video, some football player in a brawl in a hotel lobby, and then he goes up before people being coached by his publicist and says, you know, I made a mistake, and you know, I'm going to make mistakes because I'm human, but I just want you to know that's really not me. That's not what I'm about, and that doesn't show you who I really am. And he's just called what he did a mistake. He's caught on video punching his wife in an elevator and dragging her off to a room. And he made a mistake, he'll tell us. And it was an indiscretion, he'll say. Well, actually, the Bible has a different word for it. It calls it sin. I ask a question very often when I travel overseas, and that's whether you consider yourself to be a sinner. More than 98% of the time, the answer is it doesn't matter what the person's belief system is. The answer is, yes, I believe I'm a sinner. There's all kinds of reasons why people know that. But every once in a while, a person says no to you. I had a person say no to me once in Venezuela. He was a fellow who had immigrated there from an Eastern European country. He said, no, his name was Bronco. He said, no, I'm not a sinner. I said, you don't have sins in your life? He goes, no, I just have vices. I just have bad habits. I said, so what are your bad habits? What are your vices? He said, women, gambling, drinking, stealing, you know. Well, I got news for you, Bronco. It's that God calls those sins. He calls those trespasses and lawlessness. So the first thing the Bible does is it gives us a general name for a behavior that is astray from God's will. He calls it sin. The second thing he does is the Bible identifies for us specific sins. If you're taking notes, which is a good idea, let me give you a series of passages in the New Testament where you have a list of specific sins. There's more than this, but... Let's just start here. Romans 1, 29 through 30. 1 Corinthians 5, 
9 through 13. These are just lists that Paul gives us. Peter gives us lists as well. Galatians, James gives us a lot too. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. There you'll find lists of sins like drunkenness and murder and adultery and idolatry and gossiping. It's in there as well. And backbiting and using crude language. Things like that. Specific things identified. You'll find things like laziness and not providing for your family when you can. List of sins. Another thing the Bible does is it directs us away from sin by showing us how to live a life and showing us the beauty of a good and righteous life. It'll do that from examples of different people throughout the Bible and the stories we read about them and we see them doing some courageous thing or some bold thing or some good thing or some other selfless thing and we are to look at that and we're to appreciate it and want to emulate that. But ultimately what the Bible does is it, it shows us the beauty of the life of Jesus Christ. The fascination that people have with the life of Jesus Christ is primarily this. I tell you, it's not his miracle. It's that he lived a life that we all deep down inside have wanted to be and aspired to be. A good life, a righteous life, a kind life, a giving, a self-giving life. And the, the Bible shows us that man who comes blazing across the scene of history with this magnetic expression of goodness and we're drawn to it and we, we, it resonates with us because it's something, he was someone that we had longed to be. Not what we become, but what we've longed to be. And So the Bible shows us how to live a life that takes us away from the trajectory of sin and selfishness by showing us a good and perfect and beautiful life in Jesus Christ. The other thing the Bible does in showing us sin is it shows us the consequences of sin. And so if you read your Bible, you'll read the consequence of what happens when people choose their own way and determine a pathway of rebellion and stubbornness and resistance to the will of God. And it's not good. And you see it happening over and over again. And you can almost see people as you're reading it that they're about ready to tread off a cliff and you want to warn them, but they just stubbornly tread off the cliff anyhow. And so you see the consequences of sin. But ultimately what the Bible does in showing us the consequence of sin is it takes you to the cross where that beautiful life, that wonderful, attractive, beautiful, magnetic life is crucified on a cross. And what we're to understand is there is the consequence of your sin. Your sins brings ruin, it brings judgment, and it's horrific and... It destroys what is beautiful and what is good. That's the consequence of your sin. And then what the Spirit of God does, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you believed in Him, the author of that book lives inside of you as He begins to dictate that word from within you as you learn it and as you treasure it and as you discover it so that He brings it to your mind in times when you need it and you're confronted with temptations. There are any number of wrong thoughts that will go on through your mind on any given day and they can be entirely unaddressed. They can just keep whittling away your soul and your spirit unless this word is allowed to speak in your life. But if you'll soak up this word and you'll listen to it and you'll meditate upon it, it'll come back to you by the power of the Holy Spirit in unguarded moments in your life. It'll come back and it'll speak and it'll catch hold of thoughts and attitudes and 
actions you're about ready to set forward on that are not within the will of God and will bring destruction in your life and a destruction on others and whose consequences would be devastating and it will halt you and stop you and point you in a different direction. That's how the word works. That's how it works to deal with sin in life. The psalmist says, Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that thing that's been identified to him and those specific sins that he sees that have been identified. And He wants to live that good and right life. He wants to avoid the consequences. And he hides this word and treasures this word in his life so that that might take place. When God saves a person, when God reaches a person and brings a person into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, God's purpose is so that they might enjoy His holiness. They might enjoy in their own being reflecting the goodness and the purity of God. This is part of the way that God does it. He does it both positively, leading us into progressive and positive things that we do for His honor and glory, but He does it as well negatively, might say, in keeping us and holding us and restraining us from those things that defile us. But here's the problem. There are a lot of people who know this word. A lot of people who know their Bibles and can quote it, large sections of it by heart, and, well, they're not living holy and sanctified lives. The fact is, if you look at it, oftentimes they're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. You can go and look at the pollsters. They can say, you know, here's the person who claims to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, and statistically they're doing basically everything that everybody else is doing. Their lives haven't changed, and we have to ask, why is that the case? Why is it that the people can know this word and it yet doesn't change their lives? And that's the question I want to answer with you this morning. And the first thing I want to say is this. For this word to make a change in your life, for this word to keep you from sin and to lead you into holiness, you must want to be kept from sin. And you must want to be led into holiness. What does the psalmist say? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. What does he not want to do? He want to sin against God. He doesn't want to dishonor him. He's not, by the way, reaching for some standard so that he can get on some higher moral perch than someone else and say, I'm better than you. I'm more righteous than you. I'm better behaved than you are. I'm the good person. No, it's not. that's not his motivation. He doesn't want to grieve the heart of God. He doesn't want to offend the heart of a good God who loves him. And it's been good to him. He doesn't want to sin against that God. Not only that, he wants to reflect the moral purity and majesty of that God in his life. It's what begins to be the desire of his heart. So there's a really good question for you here, and it's this. Do you want deliverance from your sins? Not just deliverance from the discomfort that your sin causes you. By the way, sin causes discomfort in your wife. In your life. I said the wrong word there. But I can tell you, it's true. It causes discomfort in your wife. I can attest to it. Can I hear an amen, man, right? And in your life. And you want to be kept from it. You don't want the consequence and the destruction it brings to your life. But you're not just trying to avoid dis-ease or discomfort or the consequence here. It's more than that. It's not like you're just saying, you know, what it is is I really want to do this, but I just don't want to face the consequences of doing this thing. And no, what's happened is this psalmist hates it. He despises that thing that drives a wedge between him and the God who made him and created him and the God who wants to redeem him and change him. 
And as a result, he does not want to sin against God. Do you hate sin? Do you hate it when it presents itself in your life? Is it just an embarrassment to you at times? Or do you hate it because it drives a wedge between you and God? Do you want to be free of it? Do you consider it to be, in a sense, a, an invading enemy force that you want defeated and thrown down in your life? These are important questions to answer because that's ultimately has to take place. This is not a book on self-improvement. This is not a book where you just follow a couple of standards to gain a little higher level of success in your life, where you can be, get a little more honor and a little more appreciation, and maybe you can make good on some of your dreams in life. You can get past those things that you think are holding you back from realizing yourself. No. This is a book that reveals a holy God who desires to bring you into himself and have relationship with you and has found a way to do that by sending his son to die and suffer the consequences of your sin and to deliver you from those sins and forgive you those sins. But then once he finds you and saves you in that way, he's a God who wants to then cultivate you and craft you in the likeness of his son. So you might enjoy him and know him and experience him and be like him and glorify him. Do you want that? That's the key. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. That is where you must start as you come before God's Word and seek the path of a holy life. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life today. We're a listener-supported program of the International Outreach Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism, and the local Mission Church Fellowship of Bread of Life in Boise. To learn more about us and how you can support our work, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.